All right, I think we're ready to go. Um, Let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll open the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, um, we praise You for this opportunity to come before You and to learn from Your Word. We pray as, as I often do and as we often do that we would be changed people as a result of the things which we learn here today. Uh, we thank you for the changing power of the word. We thank you that those who earnestly seek you and seek to follow it will not be the same for having been under its influence. And we pray that you would conform us more readily into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, last time we were in Philippians chapter 1, and we covered that chapter fairly handily uh, last time I was with you. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2 today. It's a little bit longer chapter, so there's always the possibility that we won't get to the entire chapter. But we'll see what the Lord does. And uh, I know I have at least one more Sunday with you, and Lord willing, uh, I'll have the opportunity to do more. So we'll see how that goes as we progress through this book. Um, As I said, one of the things I like about book studies is that you can progress through a book, you can build on a foundation, and it's kind of interesting because the first verse of Philippians chapter 2 says these four words to begin. It says, If there be therefore. So we know that with therefore, uh, we're talking about something that happened previously. So in the first chapter of Philippians, we heard about um, Paul in the end of the chapter is talking about, first he says, I want you to conduct yourselves in a way that whether I come to you or I'm absent, I'm going to be glad about what I hear. Is essentially what he says. And he says that we have fellowship with one another, and then he goes on and he says, you are going to suffer for Christ, but he actually is emphasizing the importance of togetherness because when suffering for Christ, we don't want to do it alone. As a matter of fact, kind of alluding to what I said before we got started, God did not make man to be alone. In the garden, when man was alone and he named all the animals, and then it was said that there was no helper found for him, so God made a helper, Eve, out of his rib. Because man is not made to be alone. We are a social being, for the most part, except under special giftings. We are made to be in a one-man, one-woman, for a lifetime relationship in marriage. That is what we are made for, because God knew that we needed fellowship, that the Christian life is not a solitary pursuit. And so moving on, we... We talked about God's promise that He would be with us, that He would complete the work. We're going to talk about some more practical practical information based on what we talked about in in chapter 1. Some more practical nitty-gritty, if you will. So the first point, I always have my points. Today I have four points. And the first one is the unity of the gospel. So let's look at the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, 
if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Um, and so Paul is saying, um, if Christ is giving you all the things I talked about in the first chapter, if Christ is true, then what needs to characterize you is that you need to be like-minded, having the same mind, being of one accord, of one mind. You know, we when we go out into the world and we do whatever it is we have to do in the world, one of the things that I really like about Sunday morning is that I can come away from the world and I can come into a house of worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord who are of like mind to me and I can seek shelter for a couple hours a week in that environment. So, if there's one place, of course we shouldn't have fighting anywhere if we can help it. Because the Bible says, as much as lies with you, be at peace with all men. But if there's one place where there shouldn't be fighting and war, and where there shouldn't be uh, disagreements at large, we're going to disagree on little things, but there shouldn't be major disagreements. If there's one place where that should be, it should be in the body of Christ. In the family of God. Why? Because we have the most important thing in common. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. He shed His blood for us. And the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than any human blood. You know, the saying is, blood is thicker than water. Well, Jesus Christ's blood is thicker than anything. And so if Jesus bought my brother over here, and He bought me, then... What right do I have to hold anything against my brother? Because Jesus could take both of us, could have taken both of us, and cast us into hell, and been perfectly in his right to do so. And I think, I know I struggle with this too, so I'm not saying something that I don't struggle with, but isn't it interesting how we talk about the love and forgiveness of Christ? And then the next thing we know, we can't forgive our brother or our sister for what they did for us. As if what they did for us was worse than what we did to Jesus Christ, which is just an insult to Him. But sometimes that's the way we think. And then He says, not only should you be kind, but He says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Can you imagine what our churches would be like if we made a more conscious effort to put that into practice? You know, I see the verse here posted here that in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's a great thing. But one of the ways we show that he has the preeminence is that we esteem others better than ourselves. And I wonder if we should hang that in more churches and in more homes. That, that that should be a motto. And I want to share a story with you. 
You may recognize it, but just let me read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, During the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. Their leader was shouting instructions but making no attempt to help them. Asked why by the rider, he retorted with great dignity, Sir, I am a corporal. The stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldier. The job done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come to help you again. It was none other than George Washington. Now, George Washington was only exemplifying what our Lord and Savior did. Our Lord and Savior was the creator of the world. It says in Proverbs that he was there when the foundations of the earth were laid. And yet it says that he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And I think that if we had more leaders like George Washington, who didn't say, I'm, I'm the head general of the, of the Continental Army of the United States, who just saw things that needed to be done and pitched in. You know, if a leader is someone who pitches in, that's the kind of person that people follow. Someone who does not lord it over them. Someone who doesn't put themselves above them. And uh, so I really think we need to get this right. We need to think of our others better than ourselves. And if we have that philosophy for our churches and for our homes, we will see a change. Because we can look all around us and, and see how the I'm number one selfish way of thinking has helped our world and we would probably all say with a resounding agreement that it hasn't. Um, as a cross reference to this point could somebody uh, look up and read for me Romans 12 verse 10. Romans 12 verse 10. Again thinking about this Important point. Again, uh, this is Paul. He's the same writer. He's saying, be kindly affectionate to one another. And you know, I think, I think that kind of talks about more than just actions. Just like this passage talks more than just actions. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid... And sometimes even now, if my parents asked me to do something, I could do it on the outside. You know, there's that old story about the, the kid who doesn't want to stay in his seatbelt. And his mom sets him down and puts him back in the seatbelt. He's like, fine, I'll sit here. But I'm standing on the inside. And I think that's kind of the way we are sometimes. We, we do the outward thing. 
The Pharisees did the outward thing, but what did Jesus say about them? He said, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. And God wants our hearts. And then we move to the second point. The second point here we have today is the focus of the Gospel. The focus of the Gospel. And this kind of relates back to a message I gave here in May. Because we talked about how the Gospel is all about Jesus Christ. So Paul just got done saying, be of the same mind, esteem others better than yourself. And then he gives us the ultimate example. Let's read these verses. And uh, you will see the ultimate example. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted himself and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, and of things on earth, and of things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2, 5-11. And this is one of my favorite passages because... I believe that this will literally happen. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very physically flexible at this point in my life. And I can't bow my knee in a physical sense. But one day I'm going to. Because my corruptible body will put on incorruption. My mortal body will put on immortality. And one of the first things I'm going to do with my glorified body is kneel before the Lord and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And uh, I have a challenge for you today. If you haven't yet bowed your knee before the Lord here on earth, you will one day in heaven, but I'd encourage you to do it here on earth first. Because once you get into heaven, it's going to be too late for it to affect your eternal destiny. Because there's going to be a lot of people on that day that bow before God, confess Him as Lord, but they're still going to be cast into everlasting punishment, prepared for the devil and his angels, because they refused to bow the knee on earth. And so I would encourage you to take care of that today. Ask someone who knows the truth. I'm sure there's several here who know the truth. They also know the one who is the truth. And they would like nothing better than to share him with you. And um, So we go from Paul saying that we should live like this, that we should put others ahead of ourselves. And then we go to the example of the very Son of God who didn't have to do that. There was nothing, there was no requirement of His that He do that. He could have just said, 
I'm done with you. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, it's a wonder we even got to the New Testament because He should have said, I'm done with you long before I even came on the planet. But He didn't. And it says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, He came. Because He promised He would. We talked about that a little bit in the breaking of bread. That His promises are true. And so though, though I can't stake my reputation on Him doing anything for me because I'm not worthy, I can stake His reputation on Him doing something for me because He said that He would and so I can believe that He will. Can somebody look up and read John 10.17 John 10.17 just to kind of underscore this point once again it's kind of interesting my dad always says the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible so that's what we're trying to do is to, is to get a commentary and get a better understanding of that which we are studying by looking at some of these other verses so does somebody have that verse? For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus laid down his life for you. The Father knew that we needed someone to bridge the gap between him and us. Because we had destroyed the bridge. We, we had burned the bridge and He was gracious enough to rebuild it. And it's kind of interesting, I think, that He grew up a carpenter because there's a lot of spiritual analogies. But of all the things that Jesus built in His life, nothing is of greater significance than the bridge between heaven and hell. Nothing is of greater significance than that the very God of heaven, the Son of God, can sit at the right hand of God and when I sin, when I screw up, because I do, and the devil points at me and says, God, look at what he did, because we know from Job that for some reason the devil still gets entrance sometimes before God. And the devil can sit there and say, look at what Andrew did yesterday. How can he be yours? And Jesus can stand up and extend his hands and his feet. And the Bible says one day we'll look on him whom we've pierced. Those scars are not going to go away. They're going to be there for all eternity as a reminder for us. The cause of our redemption. It's a great cost. And it also helps us to get a, a good perspective on ourselves. I have another little story to share. It says, Hudson Taylor, for those who don't know, he was a great missionary to China. Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. 
the moderator of the service introduced the ministry or the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am a little servant of an illustrious master. That's all I can claim today, too. I'm not much. But I'm so thankful that he can take not much and do great things. And I'm a living testimony to God's wonderful grace. And I'm thankful to be serving the best of masters. And I implore you that if you're not, that you would begin that journey today. Because there's no greater journey than to be serving the best of masters. Point three. Paul has some Reminders and exhortation motivated by the gospel. We just heard the gospel message again that Jesus came down to this earth and he was obedient even to the death of the cross. But then after he died, he rose again and he ascended into heaven 40 days later and he was set at the right hand of God where he was glorified. You know, in, in John chapter 17 it says, Bring you back to the glory that we shared, that I shared with you before the world was. And uh, God fulfilled that. And we see that in the passage that we just read in Philippians chapter 2, where he highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And you know, that's why you can talk about any other religion. You can talk about God in generic terms. But if you talk about Jesus and you're not cursing, then people hate you. Because they hate Him. Can you imagine that? People can say Jesus all they want if they're cursing. But if they say His name in a reverent manner, people get up in arms. It's because there's no power in any other name except for Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. And the devil hates power because he wants it. And so he persuades men to hate the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. 
that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice in you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. And so, what Paul is what Paul is saying, and I, I've read different things about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've heard people say that I read a commentary that said that this might not, this probably wasn't talking about the salvation of your soul, and was more talking about dealing with conflicts that arise in your uh, congregation or whatnot. But and we know there's uh, three or four different definitions definitions of salvation. In the scriptures, we know that we have been saved, we know that we are being saved, and we know that we will be saved. We know that all those are, are true in the scriptures. But whatever the specific version of, or uh, specific use of salvation is in this passage, we know that it's a very important thing, and Paul obviously says, with fear and trembling. You know, and he talks about, again, he brings this up again for the second chapter in a row. He's talking about obeying, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Why? Because it wasn't important that they obeyed Paul. And just like with me, it's not important that you listen to Andrew and you, you see what Andrew has to say and you, and you obey him because, because that's so important. No. It was important that they obeyed Christ. And as much as Paul was a minister of the gospel, was a minister of the things that Christ gave him, then they were to obey Paul. Because Paul was speaking for Christ. Paul said in another epistle, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that's one of my goals, to get more and more to the point where I can say to people, imitate me as I also imitate Jesus Christ. Because the, 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 the catch is, the rub is, that there's always people imitating you. Always. You can't say, well, I'm just not going to have anybody imitate me because I'm, I'm not any good anyway. So I just won't have anybody imitate me. Because you can't decide that. I'm the oldest of 11 children. And I've been watching my siblings imitate me for the better part of my life. And it's been challenging and convicting to me because often the things that come out of my mouth will come out of their mouth again. And if the things that come out of my mouth are not clean, not honoring to God or not honoring to my parents, and they're regurgitated by my siblings, that's super convicting. And sometimes I have to say, Lord, have mercy on me. And help me to do better next time. And I, I can say, like Charles Barkley, I'm not a role model, but that would be wrong because everybody is a role model. And everybody has character. The question is whether it's good or bad character. It says in one of the epistles, I think it's in Ephesians, it says, don't you know that bad company corrupts good morals? You can't spend all your time with people that hate God and then expect to love Him. It says in the Proverbs that he who walks with wise men will be wise. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. 
And it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And you think, well, maybe he's talking to people that, that aren't believers. At least you think that for a second. But then you realize, no, he's talking to the church at Philippi. And he's saying, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why does he keep bringing this up? Because he talked about being of the same mind in the first chapter. Because it's possible that between the time of reading the first chapter and reading the second chapter before they're even done reading the epistle that they already forgot what he said. Because we forget. I'm thankful for the Lord's Supper because I forget. I remember in the Old Testament, God was always saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of bondage in Egypt. It's probably the most repeated verse in the Old Testament. That and the Lord commanded Moses saying, but he repeated things because we forget. But I'm thankful. And he says that he wants us to shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Holding forth the word of life. You know, People aren't going to want what we have if what we have makes us morose sourpusses that don't have any enjoyment of life. No, we're not supposed to enjoy the world. But we are supposed to live an abundant life. And that doesn't just start after in heaven. It starts now. It's, we're supposed to give the reason of the hope that lives within us so we have to project that we have hope. And so that's, that's what, we're, what, we're, what we're talking about here. And then, um, I think we'll, we'll leave the last part of the chapter for the next time I am among you. But let's just... Um, Let's just look at a quick cross-reference in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. As we close and as we think about this once again, um, just verifying Scripture with Scripture. Does anyone have that passage? That's challenging stuff. And I think about that a lot because they, it says there, if you salute your brother only, what reward have you? Don't even the publicans and the sinners do that. 
And so I think that underscores the need for unity that we talked about in the first part of the chapter. Because if you don't have unity in your church and in your family, how are you going to go out into the world and reach the world if your church and your family are in discord? It's an interesting thought to consider. And as we continue on in Philippians, next time we'll talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And one of the interesting things about those is, you know, Paul tells us how to live our lives. And then he gives us the example of Jesus Christ. And he says, live like Him. And we can, all, we can often get into this mode where we say, I can't live like Him. He was the Son of God. He was not mortal. I'm mortal. So then Paul goes a step further and he gives us some mortal men who are nonetheless good examples of godliness to follow. And we'll look at that in more detail next time the Lord allows me to be here, which at this point is September 25th. So stay tuned. um, And I look forward to being with you again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these words and admonitions and exhortations that we have received from Your Word. We thank You for the book of Philippians and for um, Your goodness to us as we, as we continue to study it. We praise You for this small book and for all that You um, are teaching us through it. We pray that we would uh, continue to be changed people and that you would grow us and stretch us continually. We pray this in the name and through the the um, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.